Hello and welcome to another episode of the Distance Diaries podcast. My name is Fraser and I'm from London. And my name is Natalia and I'm from Mexico City. Thanks so much for still listening to us. Yeah, it's great to have you here um, for the next 30 minutes or so. Yeah, have you done anything interesting this week, Fraser? So it's been another really busy week for me at work and also uh, the final week of the World Cup. So just to kind of set the scene, uh, we've we've just about an hour ago finished watching the final World Cup final. So congratulations to France. Yeah. I'm actually really happy they won. I'm happy they won and yeah. well done to Croatia as well. Commiserations to Croatia. Yeah, so I guess that was one of the things I did this week was, was out, out on Wednesday night watching England's World Cup run come to an end sadly but still it's been, been, been a good few got weeks. The, Harry Kane did well he got yes, the what's it called the golden boots yeah so other than that uh yeah as I said been fairly busy and also did take some time to go to uh, a craft brewery in Peckham called the Brick Brewery which is I think it's I think it's becoming fairly well known at least in Peckham um and yeah they they make quite a few nice beers quite a large variety of different types so if you're into more of your lagers then there's there's kind of a nice peckham pills that's quite good but that's what i normally go for and they've got kind of a a sort of i guess fairly typical setup for a microbrewery so it's under a railway arch and there's kind of like an outdoor <laughs> bit out the back of the the art the railway arch in peckham so yeah quite nice not cheap but then again, at least you're kind of supporting a local brewery by going there. So I feel yeah. a bit less bad about paying £4 or £4.50 for a beer when it's from a local place. It's brewed there rather than just to kind of a random... In central London. Random place in central London like yeah. we do kind of the rest of the time. Um, so that was good. How about you? I I haven't been up too much outside my house. I went for breakfast at Le Pan Quotidien, which I think is the second time I've said that in the last two months of recording this podcast. So not that interesting. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. That's what I've done outside my house, cool. really, which is a bit boring. <laughs> cool. So what have you been, what have you been kind of listening to, watching, reading? Right. This is my section because I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, first off, I listened to Florence and the Machine's new album, which I love, especially Hunger. Hunger is, I think, my favorite track. Uh, I think it's a great album. It's them back with what they normally do. And I, after read Florence's interview with The Guardian, I'll link that in the show notes, but I think... What I got as an impression from that interview and why I would recommend reading it if you like Florence and the Machine is because when you listen to their songs, they sound very, they have very magical quality about them. And I can assure you that Florence reads as magical as her songs sound. She seems to believe in all sorts of things that make her very, very interesting. And she's had like quite a hard life, but she still so believes in magic. And I think, I think that's sweet in a way. <laughs> and I think you understand a lot more about where her songs are coming from. Songs like Hunger and, I don't know, I, I found it super, super interesting. I want to read a quote from the, from the Guardian that I found really interesting. 
It says, going on tour, she realized she goes into a state of stasis, popping out years later to find that not only have all her friends had kids and got married, but grown up in even grander, less definable ways. Learning things like how to break up well, something she is yet to master, and how to feel deserving of love. I think it's so interesting when you read the interview to see that even though Florence has achieved this massive success, she still feels like she's been left behind by life. It's very, very interesting. I really like it. Okay. I really recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Second thing I listen to is Super Love by Withan, I want to say. You pronounce it? I'm not That's sure. It's a good song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> featuring a wonder. And it's basically, if you love a wonder, it's a wonder, but even more pop, which is nice. It, it, it sounds like a very a wonder song. Yeah, it's more of like a dance song than what they normally do, but still, good. It's, it's good. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> also watched on Netflix, there's a show recommendation, watched Anne with an E, uh, the second season. I haven't finished it, but it's basically based on Anne of Green Gables, the entire first season. I love the first season that I watched when it came out, I think, a year ago. And it's basically just about a girl who is taken in by... Uh, two farmers because they they are they wanted a boy to help with with the farm and they got a girl so they don't really want her and it's about the story of how they sort of fall in love with her at the same time that you fall in love with her it's a lovely show so i would recommend that also i'm really sorry about how long this section is going to be for me i am on holiday now so i've been watching a lot of things also watched a film called the glass castle I mostly watched it because of the cast. You've got Woody Harrelson and Brie Larson and Naomi Watts. You can't really go wrong with that cast. It's an interesting watch. If you're feeling like watching something a little bit deeper, it's, it's an interesting watch. It's on Amazon Prime. The next thing I watched is on Netflix and is the Amanda Knox documentary because I don't know why I've been hearing Amanda Knox's name mentioned more than usual lately. I think she's been doing a lot of podcasting and stuff. But I, I, I watched <laughs> oh, wow. I watched the documentary and it's very, very interesting. It's such a weird, interesting case. I think there's a lot of debate on Amanda Knox, not even whether she's guilty or not, just about her attitude towards everything since the trial. So I think it was an interesting watch, basically. And it has an interesting premise coming from Amanda Knox herself, saying that people are so scared of her because either she is a psychopath or she could be you. And it's quite an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And as a final thing, I finished The Handmaid's Tale Season 2 and I still recommend it to everyone. And it's a great show and it has some of the best acting on TV right now, I think, especially from Ivan Starbotsky. Oh my God, she's amazing. So watch that. How about you, Phrase? Honestly, nothing particular to, to report for me, sadly. Uh, as I mentioned, World Cup, a little bit of Wimbledon have, have dipped in and out of. And yeah, that's it really. So more maybe next week when we're back. Okay, sure. I mean, World Cup and Wimbledon are the two biggest things that have been happening. So I think that's fine. Yeah, especially I think if, if you're someone who dedicates a lot of your viewing time to sport, yeah. then that kind of takes between those two. Yeah. You're pretty pretty well covered. I loved, apart from Putin, I loved the World Cup this year. I thought I thought <laughs> it was really nice. And I thought the ending that we just watched like an hour ago was so Sweet, I think. Cool. Let's move on to our first topic. So, 
our first topic is something very trendy right now, and I'm just going to ask Fraser now what he thinks. And it's basically, my question is, is your no plastic straw use really going to make a big difference to the oceans and the environment? Yeah, so the reason why we thought this would be, or it was kind of on both of our minds really, is because it's certainly something I've noticed a lot more as we're kind of halfway through the year, people talking about... Mm. I suppose in general terms, reducing their use of plastic, but then more specifically plastic straws being the kind of sim one of the symbolic evil or like bad, really bad examples of that. Yeah, like single use plastic. Yeah, being the kind of ultimate single use plastic, if that makes yeah, if that even makes sense as a as a phrase. And so yeah, I've noticed a lot, particularly on social media people I know who've been going abroad to volunteer or people who've been just mm. doing particular focuses either in their offices or in university or in their daily lives to make an effort to reduce the amount of, of plastic that they use. So yeah, anyway, the, the answer in answer to your question, <laughs> I've kind of kind of rambled on a bit there, but is is our is mm-hmm. us reducing our our use going to make a big difference? So we did some research and we found that it's actually out of ocean plastic waste which i think is what people have the most problem with and i've noticed most frequently yeah most frequently as a a problem it's actually only 0.03 percent of the volume of like plastic waste found in the sea actually comes from plastic straws which is interesting Mm. but then when you think about how light straws are it's actually potentially not that surprising however because of the sort of overall press and publicity that straws have received if that's the right phrase to use yeah i think that's the right phrase. yeah business <laughs> good businesses like american airlines uh, marriott hotels hyatt hotels alaska airlines sea world royal caribbean cruise lines um, and starbucks have announced that they're gonna also um, ban or not ban but stop using plastic straws yeah um, also in the states seattle as a city has said that they're gonna not allow plastic straws Um, and there's kind of similar bills in the UK with with various types of plastic and also in sort of various parts of of the United States which I thought was pretty interesting and I was actually quite surprised how quickly there has been a sort of political action on plastics yeah I think it's don't you think that that is one of those things it's just such an it's so easy to stop using plastic straws for companies somehow like it's it somehow seems quite easy for Starbucks to change the lid I know they say it's going to take a year but it's it's quite a small change to make for a company to look good yeah do you think that that's why they're doing it because it's just it's quite easy and it's you oh we're going to look so environmentally friendly now yeah, so I think it's it's one of those things where it's um, it's gone from being not a, a sort of not part of the mainstream in the way that people mm. consume, in the sense that plastic straws weren't the most, or plastic cups as well, but plastic straws they weren't sort of at the forefront of consumers' minds. But now that they are, it is probably a good thing that that companies are changing. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. So yeah, it's obviously a good thing that people are conscious about what they consume, and ultimately, most businesses are unlikely to make that kind of change. That's going to cost them money to make that change without a degree of consumer pressure. Otherwise, it yeah. tends to be that you get sort of challenges or more niche businesses that will sort of 
you know, talk about specifically what they're doing. One example that springs to mind is Lush. Right. The, yeah. Um, how how do you what what kind of retailer are they? They're like skincare, a bath, skincare, yeah, yeah. and cosmetics. Yeah. They do have sector. cosmetics as well. Cos- yeah, so they they exist and are and created a niche for cruelty free, not testing no animals, etc. Products. Product. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So though normally the way these these things and end up is just through these kind of niche businesses so i think it's great that that sort of moved more widely i suppose in the case of yeah i think now that you mentioned lush i think lush is a great example of a company that you can tell truly believes in the cause and isn't doing it out of being trendy really in terms of lush for since they began any plastic container from lush you take back and they reuse like that's just not it's always been like that and they are big big advocates mm. for never giving you if if the product doesn't need it none of their products are in plastic containers i just bought one of the yeah. shampoo bars from Lush, and they give you a little tin to put it in and you can just reuse that tin for all your bars and it's just they i think that they genuinely do it because they do want to make change it's not really a trend thing whereas i think starbucks for example and I say this as someone who goes to Starbucks, it is a trend-led thing. And I know that they have reusable plastic, but it's only reusable if you throw it away in their store. Yeah. I think that's something that they should do and that would actually make a bigger change than just no plastic straws, would be to tell you, because a lot of people go to Starbucks and don't even think about this, tell you that you can drink your coffee in a cup if you're going to stay there. You don't need the plastic. You can just drink yeah, it in a cup. it is pretty wasteful. That would be a bigger campaign. Yeah, and I think, actually, I was, was doing some more broad research, and it it turns out that in a lot of countries, they are trying to ban single-use plastics, um, including things like carrier bags and stuff like that. So it's definitely, it's definitely a good thing. I think if you have it in your heart to help no plastic, no single-use plastic use, <laughs> <laughs> instead of just... Because I think, obviously, straws are the the beginning of a movement, I hope. I hope that it doesn't end at straws. But if if you have it in your heart to help that cause, the single-use plastic cause, it's not enough to tell your friends to not use plastic straws. That's not really going to make a difference, honestly. It's just not. How much of the ocean... Yeah, and say even Mexico City, the rubbish from Mexico City doesn't go to the ocean. So it's like not going to make that big a change. What would make a change is write to your local government and tell them to raise a fee on plastic bags in the supermarket. That's made a huge change in England. Those types of things make a bigger change than just plastic straws, I think. Yeah, so one another thing that kind of came up, and this is from... uh, a Bloomberg article, which I thought was was quite sort of good on on this topic, it was that actually a lot of the things that would make the biggest difference to the amount of plastic, for example, in the ocean, are not necessarily things that we actively know about or that mm. we can directly change. So it gave the example that a lot of plastic in the ocean is from 
old fishing nets. Right, And yeah. that the solution, the solution to that is coming up, and this is something apparently the UN's working on, with a universal way of marking fishing nets so we know who's responsible they are and if they're, if they're found in the ocean, to then be able to trace that back and say who's responsible. Now, what in terms of how we then affect that, it's we only buy fish or products yeah. from the sea that are fished in a responsible way with with no waste so it's like it's a much it's a more kind of complex chain for us to have an influence on businesses and on it's less direct and so i guess although straws are an obvious one for us to to kind of Market. take action on yeah yeah to make sometimes to make the bigger changes there's actually a less easy socially acceptable way to to kind of make make the difference yeah and this is not at least this is not me saying oh you're like it's it's not good to ban plastic straws because it doesn't make a difference that's not what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is if you genuinely have in your heart to help the cause which you should given that you know the oceans are not in a good state um and not just the oceans like even as I said, Mexico City rubbish doesn't go to the ocean, but the places where it goes are awful. Like, they, they, they yeah. shouldn't be that much rubbish. If you have it genuinely in your head, there's such quick, easy research things you can do to actually help more than just straws. Straws are fine, but I don't think people should feel accomplished because they don't use a plastic straw. <laughs> because that's just I a fashionable agree. trend and I think there's much deeper level things to to attack yes so next I think we were going to talk a little bit about something that's I suppose very again topical at the moment much like the World Cup we have also just watched the final of Wimbledon yeah um, it overlapped a bit which was not so the best it overlapped <laughs> completely with the world cup so yeah. as a result i think in in my case definitely and natalia probably and I'm, I'm sure lots of you listening as well there's been potentially a case of not keeping up with the tennis as much as you would have liked so we're gonna take a little bit of a look back over the tournament um and some of the kind of yeah. key headlines over the past couple of weeks. In case anyone asks you, what do you think about Wimbledon? You'll know what to talk about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I do have a funny story about the overlapping of, of Wimbledon and the World Cup. My family is very big on tennis, and I think we've given that to our dog because we were watching the final just now. <laughs> I, put, I put on the Wimbledon final, and then I switched it to the World Cup final. My dog went up to the remote. I'm not joking. He lied down on the remote and switched it back to Wimbledon. I'm not joking, that actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think you wanted to watch the tennis. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't happy with uh, switching over to the World Cup, for sure. No, he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's actually talk about Wimbledon now. So, I want to talk about a little bit about... It's been, it's been an interesting Wimbledon year, I think. Well, I think, mm. I don't know. But the male semi-finals were some of the longest games played in Wimbledon ever which is really, really interesting. Nadal and Djokovic, it lasted about five and a half hours. And I watched that game and it was so intense. It felt like the final. It was crazy. Nadal is insane at keeping up. And Djokovic is such a good game that I, it was such, a, it was a great game, that one, I think. 
Yeah, and what's also pretty amazing about both of those games is that they then have either one day off or they literally play the next day after playing those games. So it's pretty incredible to play like a five and a half, six and a half hour game and then sleep, <laughs> go go to bed, play again in the final. Yeah, me and my mom were thinking, like, what is Djokovic going to do tonight like, after playing for five and a half hours against a player like Nadal, who is insane? Do you just like stay in a hot tub all night to make sure you're fine for the next day? And then Anderson and Isner, Anderson won to go to the final against Djokovic. They, it was six and a half hours and the last set was 26 to 24. Yeah, so that's long. crazy. And so when, when I heard this, I actually realised that it kind of, the name Isner rang a bell in my mind. Obviously, he's a famous tennis player, like I get it. But, <laughs> but because... Eight years ago, he actually played in the longest ever match. That was Isner against Mahu, um, which was 11 hours and five minutes. So that was something else. But yeah, it's crazy that he's been involved in kind of two um, huge games. That, was that was that Wimbledon as well? Yeah, that was Wimbledon as well. That one ended with the, in the, obviously the fifth and final set, 68-70. Um, That's insane. So, the, so yeah, I mean... They, they they did a I remember they did a kind of ceremonial photograph by the scoreboard at the end. But you you mm. you've got to feel sorry for the guy who's standing by the scoreboard trying to like look look happy who's actually lost the game. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. After that after sixty eight seventy. Yeah, it's crazy. But I, I I wanted to on the Djokovic semi final, this was one of the Wimbledon highlights for me. Uh, Djokovic gave an interview and I thought it was so sweet and can I read something he said I read, I always read things I'm sorry you I like, just, you like I quotes like I like quotes so Djokovic said after beating Nadal number two in the world he said it's hard to pick the words I'm just going through things flashback the last 15 months everything I've done to get here to get to the finals and win against the best player in the world. One of the longest matches I've ever played over two days. I'm just overwhelmed. I just think Djokovic works... The the final looked quite easy for him. So I think people were like, oh, he just won against Anderson in three sets. It was so easy. But he did so much to get there. And I think it's really sweet. On another highlight, Anderson beat Federer in the quarterfinals. Uh, He started losing Anderson... And ended up winning with a 13 to 11 set. I was really sad about that because I always root for Federer. Every tournament I root for Federer. I think it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he's the greatest of all time and he's still going at what, 30? 36. Yeah, so Federer is still, you know, obviously the greatest player of all time and still going at 36. So I think we can forgive him for for a quarterfinal exit. Yeah, no, he's amazing. I think Federer, there has to be a film at some point about Federer and Adal. I will write it because I think it's, it's such a good story. And I think they're both some of the finest players we've got we've seen in tennis in ever in history. And I'm glad I've been alive to watch them play, I think. Yes. I wanted to ask you something, because you're British. Why didn't Andy Murray play? So I think quite a few people were asking that, but basically he pretty much knew Mm. he had to withdraw in early June. Um, He played in the Queens and Eastbourne warm-up tournaments, which are kind of traditional um, pre-tournament kind of games that they play also on grass. That sounds so English. Yeah, (laughs) but he'd actually been... His last competitive games were actually at Wimbledon last year 
because um, he's mm. been out with different injuries. Most recently, he's had hip surgery in January. So I think that the, oh, the okay. kind of quotes from him were he's looking forward to the uh, the hardcore tour in August. So I think he's kind mm. of wants to focus on that. But crazily, and the way this is obviously the way way it worked, the rankings work in tennis. He's down to one hundred and fifty six in the world. What? How long? But he played in. What what plays it here in Wimbledon last year? Yeah, I mean, more or less had a year out, but yeah, I think you just drop off quite quickly. So yeah, after. but even Serena Williams had a year out, and she was number twenty three. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is. I think he, you know, he potentially also had a little bit of a dip in form. Yeah, um, and various kind of injury issues. So hopefully, we'll see him back soon, and definitely for one a third to claim his third Wimbledon title next year. Yeah, because I think that that is a shame for for British people because they always root for for Murray, right? Yeah, of course. If not, you just root for Federer, and it's great. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I wanted to talk about the women's Wimbledon as well because it was very. I found it very interesting this year because the top ten players were out really early. Wozniacki, who's number two, was out on the round of sixty four. Right. Number three was out in the round of 62, and Halep, who is number one, on the round of 32. So the top 10 were just out very, very yeah. quickly. And at the end, Serena Williams got to the final. Uh, she, had, she hadn't played for a year. She had a baby. She got married. She hadn't played for a year. And she, I think she, she was number 26, 23, something like that. And she got to the final with Kerber, who had played her in a final before two years ago and lost. And she won quite easily this year. She won on two sets of 6-3. Kerber. So well done, to, well done to Kerber, really. Yes. She was very proud of herself. Yeah. And Still, uh, yeah. And also Serena Williams has a lot to be proud of. Yeah, for sure, exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Serena and Venus have both been also really great players. So I think yeah. they have a lot to be proud of anyway. Yeah, pretty much uh, the greatest of all time. Yeah, and for this was Serena's comeback to get to the final. It's still impressive. Venus yeah. also left super early in the tournament. It was really, it was a really strange one for uh-huh. for for the women's Wimbledon. They all they all dropped like flies on the beginning of the tournament. The top ten, interesting. <laughs> I think Kerber is eleven, so she was number one by the end. Really, <laughs> <laughs> how much do you think this is a bit of an unrelated one? But how much do you think you you and other people that you know follow tennis, like in general? Because I I have to admit I'm the worst tennis fan in the sense that I only follow tennis when it's sunny, so I only <laughs> so I only follow tennis when it's the summer in in the UK and so Wimbledon and yeah Wimbledon <laughs> and then in January when they play in Melbourne and when Andy Murray does well in Melbourne I also watch that. But I'm not a very good tennis fan. What? What are you? Are you a, a, a better fan than me? Somehow tennis does feel like quite a sunny sport, doesn't it? I think two weeks ago, or however long ago it was, we said we were going to have a Wimbledon special with strawberries yeah. and cream, and we don't have strawberries and cream. <laughs> but it does feel like a very sunny sport. I am I a better tennis fan? Probably not. I love ten- I love watching tennis. Probably my favorite sport to watch. But I don't follow it as much as I should. I know about the, like the rankings and I know the top players, but yeah, because I... I feel like every year when it when it gets to the end of Wimbledon, I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I should definitely kind of keep up with with this. So maybe that's a bit of a resolution is to actually yeah. follow it through through to August and and September. 
I think yeah. with my family, it's always been easy to follow tennis because my, my whole family is a huge fan of tennis. Like my gran, this is something my gran has actually said. I cannot watch Federer play because I feel like I'm watching my son. <laughs> so whenever Federer is playing, she leaves the room because she genuinely feels like my, my gran almost cries whenever Federer wins. Like, oh, wow. And my brother is a massive sort of racket sport fan in general. And he loves tennis. He knows everything about tennis. So does my mum. Like, my family has always followed tennis very, very closely. So to me, it's, I guess, been easier to know the stats and the rankings of tennis, more so than football in my family. But in terms of my friends and stuff, I've got a friend who loves tennis as well. She loves Nadal a lot. (laughs) So I guess with my family, it's hard for me to know whether people follow tennis or not, because my family just does. So. I think that's it for this week's episode. Yeah. Any topic suggestions, anything you want to let us know, anything we got wrong, you can message us. I am on Instagram and Twitter as at underscore Natalia Alvin. And I am on both those platforms as Fraser D. Bell. And you can email us at the distance iris podcast at gmail.com. So contact us. And yeah, thanks for listening to yet another episode. You'll hear us next week. Yep. <laughs> Speak to you next week. Bye. Bye.